I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I am so excited for today's topic, which is cooperative care and ear treatments, because this is really important for a lot of the pet owners that I talk to on a daily basis. And I've got with me today an amazing behaviorist who I first heard speak at one of our North American Veterinary Dermatology Forum conferences, and she is just such a great wealth of information. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pike. Thanks for having me. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background and where you're coming from as a veterinary behaviorist. Yeah, so I went to veterinary school in Colorado State and afterwards joined the Army as an Army veterinarian. And this was back in 2003-2004. I'm headed on, I can't believe, 20 years out of vet school this year. Um, (laughs) But this was kind of the first wave of dogs being deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. And several of my dogs came back having been involved in a roadside bomb incident. And they developed a post-traumatic stress disorder from that. And so So knowing that we could, or finding out rather, that we could treat PTSD, obviously not only in humans, but in our pet patients, was just mind-blowing to me. And we were able to give these girls better quality of life after their incident. So I was like, I have to do this for a living. So I did a residency under the mentorship of Dr. Debbie Horwitz out of St. Louis. And the rest is sort of history. (laughs) I love that something that impacted you as a primary care or general practice veterinarian led you to really go into this passion of behavior. And Dr. Horowitz is brilliant. She's an amazing behaviorist. So you must have learned a ton working with her. I did. I'm still learning too. (laughs) Now you have a dog that is specific to this topic. So tell me a little bit about your dog and what your relationship has been with. Yeah. So my breed, and I think all of us have kind of a, you know, breed that they either want all of them or just adore is uh, giant schnauzers. And so I now have a giant Schnauzer named Ike. Actually, his true name is Dwight D. Eisenschnauzer. Uh, we name all of our <laughs> giants after presidents. So, and this little dude, when he came to me as a puppy, I took him to the pool closing. So, all the local pools around here, they'll close at the end of the year, and the very last day, dogs get to come, which is really cool. So, he was a, I think he was like four or five months at the time. And I went with some colleagues from the specialty hospital where I worked. And one of the surgeons that I worked with has had golden retrievers his entire life. And how you teach goldens to swim is you just throw them in the pool and they start swimming. Well, 
guess what? Giant schnauzers don't do that. So he literally threw Ike in the pool and Ike sank to the bottom. Oh, and no. so I know it was, it was terrible. It was, I couldn't stop it before it happened, unfortunately. And so, you know, he got water in his ears and subsequent raging ear infections that were very difficult to treat. And so he has had issues with his ears ever since. So I've had to work with him a lot and am constantly working with him to make sure that we maintain these behaviors should, God forbid, he get another ear infection, which knock on wood has not happened. So... Well, you are the perfect person to come on and talk about this topic because not only do you have a lot of information as a specialist, you've gone through this as a pet owner yourself. And I talk to clients all the time about my dog, Russell Sprout, because he's had ear infections. He has allergies. He has Cushing's disease. He has behavior issues. It's it's helpful to be able to relate to pet owners as one yourself. And I tell people, I'm I'm not asking you to do anything more than I've already done for my pet at home. So it's really helpful to have that personal experience. Do you have any specific patients that you kind of think of when talking about cooperative care, ear handling, things like that? Yeah, one of my absolute favorite patients is uh, Roddy, who came to me at about six months of age. Her name is Daisy May, actually Sergeant Daisy May. Um, She goes by Daisy May, but she's got a full (laughs) name there. Um, And so she had come to me because the owners had recently been to the veterinary office and it took five people to hold Daisy May down as a six-month-old Rottweiler to get a nail trim. And as the owners knew, because they were experienced Roddy owners, that this was only going to get worse. And so we had to start working with her on cooperative care. We taught her a start button behavior, which I think we're going to talk about today. And now she's able to go to the vet. She performs her little start button behavior. She gets her full physical. She can have vaccines, blood draw, etc. But she is muscle for safety purposes. And and that is something that I absolutely recommend, but she does fantastic. And she's, she's now five years old and loves coming to see us and actually loves going to see her primary care vet too. Oh, that's great. Especially after having a tough experience like that for her to be able to come so far and completely turn around and actually enjoy getting that full medical care that we can give to animals when they're comfortable. Yeah, it's amazing. I ask my clients to do a lot of ear medications and ear cleaning at home. I see tons of animals with ear infections as a veterinary dermatologist. But in order for them to do those treatments, the pets have to learn to be comfortable with the owners doing it. Can you talk to me a little bit about the different types of learning in pets and how we can use these different learning styles when we're teaching cooperative care? I mean, there's a number of different learning styles that go across all animals. All animals, including humans, learn the same way. But when we're talking about ear cleaning and things like this, dogs can really either habituate. And basically what habituation means is they just get used to something over time. So there's no real effort by the owner or the pet. But this is really unlikely to happen unless the stimulus, which is what they have to get used to, is really strong. And so if they already have issues with handling or their ears are already painful from an ear infection, habituation is unlikely to take place. And so these animals need to then learn through desensitization and counter conditioning. And these are strict protocols of teaching the dog that ear cleaning isn't a big deal. And we use food in order to do that because that's how we're going to change emotions in our animals. Um, Food is a primary reinforcer in animals. 
money is a primary reinforcer in humans. So um, just kind of equate that to like you go to your job and you get paid for it, right? So, but depending on how much ear cleaning has been problematic in the past and how painful those ears are is really going to determine how long this process takes. And, And it can take a while for some of these animals if they've had a lot of, you know, traumatic experiences. Yeah, absolutely. The worse they associate ear cleanings to be, the longer it's going to take to change that association. But you're absolutely right. Food is a big driver for these animals to work on creating that positive association. Absolutely. Um, As much as I love my allergic dog, Russell Sprout, he has been a struggle for me with some of his behavior, including for ear treatments when he first started to get ear infections. If we do something that he's not comfortable with, he gives us very little warning before he turns around and he tries to bite. Now, it's not as big of a deal for Russell because he's like 14 or 15 pounds. (laughs) um, And there's plenty of other dogs, I'm sure, that would be a big deal, especially these German Shepherds, Rottweilers, like you mentioned. Before we go into teaching these behaviors, let's talk about some safety tips that owners should consider when they're starting this training process. Yeah, absolutely. So we train all of our our dogs to wear a basket muzzle from the get-go. And in fact, we train puppies in our puppy classes to wear basket muzzles because you just never know when you might need it as a tool. You know, if something hurts, you have to get a thorn or a piece of glass out of their paw or, you know, they strain their ACL cranial cruciate ligament in dog speak, but the ACL from the human standpoint, they have to go into the vet and it's going to be painful, right? And so dogs will bite when they're painful or uncomfortable. And so training them to wear a basket muzzle really is key so that we can safely either train or treat them so that if we accidentally push beyond what they're comfortable with, at least we aren't going to get bitten. And then too, as a veterinary behaviorist, we use medications. So medications like trazodone, gabapentin, clonidine and our benzodiazepines can and absolutely should be used prior to training or during treatment if the pet is too fearful for the training to even happen. You know, one of the most common questions I get is like, oh, my dog isn't food motivated. Well, that's because they're anxious. Anxiety Mm -hmm. suppresses appetite in dogs. And so if they're too anxious, they're not going to take that food and they're not going to be able to train through this. Yeah, I love that. I love that example so much. And that's a big reason why I have owners use a lot of medications to decrease anxiety before the animal comes into the exam with me, because I want to be able to create a positive association to my office and to me doing a physical exam. And if the animal is too stressed or anxious, they're not going to be interested in any food that I have to offer them. Absolutely. Uh, and I think this goes along you know, with what we're trying to do at home as well. I will tell owners that when we first started training Russell to do ear treatments at home, you know, even though I'm a medical professional, I needed to use anti-anxiety medication to get him comfortable enough to even start the process. Absolutely. Um, Ike Pike is also on medication for those reasons. <laughs> Yeah. And our long-term goal for him was to be able to get him comfortable enough that we didn't have to continue to use that every time we needed to treat his ears. And eventually we got to that point. We can treat his ears now without having to use those anti-anxiety medications and he's still happy to take food. 
So I don't think it's something that owners should look at as, oh, my dog is always going to have to be on these medications. No, it's a tool that we're using to treat what's happening right now. Yeah, that's fantastic. There is a previous episode on gabapentin and trazodone specifically, um, if you want a little bit more information about those medications, but particularly for ears, which can sometimes be really painful. I really like gabapentin because not only are we treating the anxiety, we can also decrease some of the pain as well, which makes these dogs extra anxious. Exactly. I love gabapentin. It's my double duty medication, I call it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, So I really love the concept of cooperative care and, you know, the pet as this willing, active participant in their treatments. I find that it's so much easier than having the owners try and chase the pet down and forcefully hold them still so that they can accomplish medical treatments at home. Tell us a little bit about how to begin cooperative care and what a start button behavior is. Yeah. So start button behavior is a way for the pet to basically opt in or opt out of training and treatment. And so basically, if the dog is willing to participate, they're going to perform that start button behavior. And if there aren't, then they're going to say, no thanks by walking away. So it teaches the pet that they have options that don't involve aggression as a behavioral strategy. So some of the most common start button behaviors that we use are settling on a mat or a chin rest behavior where the dog places its chin in your hand or on your lap. And if the dog is unwilling to do so, then they're saying, no thanks. And I don't really want to do that today. Either I'm too anxious or the environmental setup is not appropriate, or maybe I'm too painful. So that also gives us information about what's going on with the animal. Yeah, I love the start button behavior. And I try and have my technicians or myself even work on starting this um, and giving the owners the tools to make that first step um, while we're still in the vet's office, just training the dog to, you know, be okay with me putting my hand underneath its chin, and then it's going to get a treat. And eventually, the dog starts to associate, okay, if my chin is on the hand, I'm going to get a treat. It's a start button behavior, but it is as simple as beginning with just touching the animal and making sure the animal is comfortable with that specific touch. But I love the chin rest. I think that's an excellent start button behavior. Yeah, it works great. You know, when the animal's on the table, that's a really nice one to use. So so once an animal is comfortable offering these start button behaviors, how do we build on those behaviors and incorporate ear treatments? Yeah, you really do have to break the entire process down into the tiniest little steps. So the first step may just be merely working on that start button behavior with the ear cleaner present beside you. Or maybe if the dog is so nervous about that ear cleaner bottle because they've seen it so many times before and they know, you know, what's going to happen when it's there, you might actually have to put it all the way across the room. So next, you're going to start by moving your hand closer to the ear flap. And once they're comfortable with you touching and lifting the ear flap, then you incorporate touching the ear cleaner with the other hand and then slowly move it closer and closer to the dog. If at any time the pet gets upset or breaks the start button behavior, you will need to go back a few steps until they're totally comfortable with the process prior to that breakdown point. So it can be really time consuming, which is why it's so important to train these types of handling behaviors before you need them, like when they're puppies. Yeah, absolutely. If they're already used to it, they're not going to have as much of a concern when you start to do these behaviors um, with actual medical treatments. Sometimes I will tell pet owners who have animals that are reactive to the bottle, just seeing the bottle, and it's something that is a source of stress for them. 
Sometimes I will tell those pet owners to take some rolled cotton from the bandage section of the pharmacy and just you know break off a, a big chunk of that rolled cotton and soak it with the ear cleaner and use that to gently press the soaked rolled cotton up against the dog's ear canal rather than trying to get the dog comfortable with squirting the ear solution directly from the bottle. Just because some of those animals find that the bottle of ear cleaner is enough to trigger a major stress response in them. But you're right, when you're training them, making sure you're rewarding calm acceptance of what you're asking them to do rather than escape behaviors. So yeah. if the dog's walking away, that's the dog telling you, all right, I'm, I'm done for right now. And just got to kind of take a step back and work on the, the last step that the animal was comfortable with before trying to progress further. Exactly. Some people want to push way too fast, myself included, yeah. um, especially with my own pets. I sort of know their limits much more than I do with my patients. And so I tend to push a little bit too hard sometimes. And so I have to remind myself to go slow. Yeah. You know, you talk about pushing a little bit too hard. The length of the training session, I think, is important to keep in mind as well. A lot of people want to do as much training as absolutely possible, but these animals learn better if it's in very short training sessions. So how long would you recommend an owner actually work on a behavior for in one sitting? Yeah, five to 10 minutes at most. There's research that shows multiple five to 10 minute sessions per week versus just one long session is going to be much more effective. Yeah, the animal can focus well during that short period of time. They're not getting overwhelmed. Just a quick little thing. You can squeeze in five or 10 minutes um, you know, throughout your day and make your life a lot easier in the long run with these ear cleanings. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the big takeaway points you'd like pet owners to remember about cooperative care in particular with ear cleanings? Yeah, I just, I really can't stress enough how important puppy socialization classes that focus on handling are so that later on treatments for these dogs aren't so scary. And if the owners are struggling to treat the pets for anything, whether it be ears, foot soaks, insulin injections, this is where a referral to a veterinary behaviorist or a qualified positive reinforcement trainer is so key. And sooner rather than later, because you can sensitize them versus desensitize them. And that's when they get worse versus better. And, and that's sort of a point of no return for some of these pets. Yeah, we want to catch those behaviors early on so that we can work on training what we want the animal to be doing and making them a lot more comfortable with things that are, are going to make their life better. Exactly. Dr. Pike, you did a webinar about cooperative care um, for pet owners. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so I gave a webinar on this very topic called Low Stress Handling for the Home. And in it, there's tons of videos of Ike, my mini schnauzer Scooby, doing some cooperative care type things. And so it's a really, really good resource that owners can watch and sort of get the foundations for how do we start and to know what am I exactly talking about? Because I can talk about this all day long, but sometimes a video is worth a thousand words. Yeah, so I'll have the link to that webinar on the website, yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com. I'll also have the link in the show notes if you want to check that out and have more information as far as being able to handle your pet at home. A lot of family veterinarians are comfortable managing behavior problems, but the link to find a veterinary behaviorist near you is on the website under the resources tab if you feel like you'd like to consult with a specialist. And there's also a link to find a veterinary dermatologist near you if you've been struggling with skin or ear infections in your pet. 
And you can view the references for today's show in the show notes on the website as well. We do have a Facebook group, Your Vet Wants You to Know. You can join us and tell us about your experience with using cooperative care with your pet, how you've been able to work on ear treatments at home. We'd love to have you join the support network of pet owners. I like to end each episode with a segment called Scratching the Itch. The segment is designed to highlight something, either a human interest story, a product, a website, essentially something that provides relief or just makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. Dr. Pike, do you have a Scratching the Itch for our listeners today? I do. So everything in veterinary behavior really comes down to understanding our pets and what they're saying to us. And so Lily Chin, who is quite famous for some of her drawings, whether they be commercially or on posters that many veterinary behaviorists use, she's come out with one book and one is coming soon. She's got her book is called Doggy Language. And in it is a pictorial guide to help owners understand and communicate with their best dog friend. And Kitty Language is coming soon and you can pre-order it now. It'll be out, I believe, this summer. Oh, that's so exciting. So a great resource for pet owners who want to understand a little bit more about their animal's behavior. Exactly. Great. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and talk to the listeners and make their lives easier at home. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It was great fun. And for everyone listening, I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know. (laughs) 